everyone. My name is Margarita Lyadova, and I'm the host of the We The Women podcast. Today, we have a really special episode planned for you. It's something that we've had in the works for a long time because of your feedback. So a couple of months ago, We The Women did a poll asking our followers what kind of topics they would want to hear about either on the episode or learn more about. And across the board, the most popular answer was financial literacy, financial savviness. So we made it happen for you. Today, I'm really excited to interview V Squared, Vanessa and Victoria, who both work at Aspirient as financial planners. So before we get started, let me read their bios and prepare for some goosebumps. So the first is Vanessa. Vanessa Franco works with clients to identify their goals and bring their aspirations to life through resourceful planning that leads to wise investment decisions and understanding the financial system. She's a first-generation American, proud college graduate who paid her tuition and left school debt-free. And by the age of 23, held the keys to her first purchase home. I mean, that's pretty badass. Okay. Anyways, her dedication to financial planning is evident, and she believes that with proper planning, you may achieve financial freedom as well. I'm ready to hear all of the advice. Okay. Victoria Bayev helps clients navigate and build their wealth in line with their goals and values. As the first in her family born in America, she did not have a large scope of financial literacy beyond saving and frugality. In high school, she was introduced to the power of financial literacy and planning by her boss, who hosted financial literacy courses at the YMCA Women's Shelter. Understanding the power of this knowledge, she changed her major from health sciences to financial services to become a certified financial planner. For fun, Victoria plays the piano, which she's really good at, by the way, composes music, and enjoys yoga and hiking to stay active. Okay, anyways, it's a huge privilege to have both of you on. And let me just say that it was my goal to have two guests on this podcast at once. And thank you for making it happen for us. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. Enough for me. Let's hear from you. Vanessa, Victoria, please talk to me about what in the world is a financial planner? What do you guys do day in and day out? So a financial planner essentially helps you plan your financial life. But it's not just saving and how much to save. There's so much more beyond it like that you have to think about in terms of estate planning and insurance. And so in a way we're generalists, but we do have specialties in some areas, but we kind of know everything in a broad way to help clients navigate their wealth aligned with their goals. Um, But there's also two sides of money. It's not just the technical side, but it's also the emotional side. So there's also behavioral finance that we kind of help navigate. So though it might be a prudent financial decision, it's hard to act on it because your values and your emotions may not be in line with that. So navigating that as well. Margarita, thank you so much for having us. I am super excited to be here. So thank you. And to add to Victoria's comment, I think the major difference between or deciding whether to work with a certified financial planner is that CFPs are legally bind to act in the client's best interest. So beyond just the technical Part of it, and as Victoria mentioned, the emotional part of it is you want to find someone that you can trust and help you navigate financial decisions, which are sometimes better when you have someone you can trust. Amazing. And I think we can all agree that finances in your early 20s or even 30s are vastly different from finances when you're ready for retirement or you own a home. And I would love to use this time to pick your brain on What should young women in their 20s and 30s like us be thinking about in terms of their finances and how if a lot of us like don't have the right head start in life and Vanessa, you can resonate with that as the first person in your family to go to school, but you came out completely debt free and now you own a house. So 
can you talk to me more, both of you, about if you're a woman in your 20s and 30s, what should you be thinking about in terms of financial literacy? Sure, I'll take that first. So I am a proud college graduate and actually the first in my family to receive a college degree. So I am very fortunate to have had that opportunity and taking all of the knowledge and actually applying it to my life, which in my early 20s was at a smaller scale, just like you said, comparing it to anyone older and in a different phase of life. Thinking about maybe a roadmap for our listeners would first assess what you currently have. So this is anything, uh, you know, what is your income? What are your expenses? Like really sit down, take your time and review these things. Two, which is cliche and we hear it often is creating a budget. But what does that really mean? And we'll get into the details of that shortly. And once that's figured out, then you can really look at what levers you can pull here and there to ultimately achieve those goals that you have for yourself using the financial tools. And then the fourth step is reassess again. It's a constant financial circle, I would say, because things change, life evolves, and that is where you see growth, not only in your personal growth, but also in your financial growth as well. And Victoria can probably walk us through some of the budget ideas that we usually recommend for younger professionals in their early career. Thanks, Vanessa. So as Vanessa mentioned, first you assess, you know, see where you are, be real with yourself, understand where you are, and then it's quantifying your budget, right? So quantifying is, you know, like counting, right? So what are we spending on X? And it's not what we want to be spending, but what are we doing? Let's just see what we're doing and let's be honest with ourselves. And then we take it and we qualify it. So we qualify the budget and we um, talk about or think about what do we actually want to be spending our money and energy on? Um, and what are we overspending? You know, so that's when you're analyzing your budget and adding, you know, the quality to it. And then once you have your budget, you a want to make it work for you but also you want to make sure you're allocating it in the proper way. And we'll have a link to an article that talks on five layers of savings, which is very helpful because it really puts it like, okay, where should I start saving first? So first we want to think about an emergency fund. That's three to six months of expenses that you really, really, you, you can't live with that, right? So you're like basic, basic needs and start with three months and then try to get to six. And so that's like something you'll never touch out of sight, out of mind. You could go into um, a high yield savings account that's not really tied to your checking, so you don't see it every day. And it's really helpful just to have it there and you know, you contribute to it monthly. And once you're at a point, you can stop contributing to that, start contributing to a big ticket savings, and also an employer-sponsored plan. If you have a 401k match that's free money, you, you must you know, try to contribute as much to get the most benefit that you get from your employer. If Provided. And if you don't have an employer, there are other ways you can save um, with individual retirement accounts, Roth IRA accounts, IRA is individual retirement account. So there are lots of options. And then after that, there's also like employee stock options. But today we're focused more on like, let's make sure you have that emergency fund, make sure you're saving a little bit to retirement and then also into a taxable account for, and that's an individual account in your own name. So it's essentially investing, right? Having some stocks and mutual funds, ETFs. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so I didn't think I would ask this, but now that you bring this up, I think it's really important because I realize if anyone can answer it, it's you two. So you mentioned IRAs. And 
I feel like depending on who you ask, the answers are different. So when you save for retirement, you can either pay taxes on it now. And then when you withdraw that money, you don't pay taxes on it anymore, or you cannot pay taxes on it, put it in the account. But then when you retire, you have to pay taxes on it. So I see the logic in doing both because if you're like in your twenties, you're probably not making as much money as you will later on. So it makes sense to pay taxes on it right away. And then like out of sight, out of mind. But at the same time, when you retire, you can be under the impression that as a retiree, you're not going to have an income. You're going to live off of the money, the wealth that you've accrued throughout your whole life. So your income will be zero. And then when it's time to withdraw the retirement money, you're not going to be taxed very high because you technically don't have an income. So how do you reconcile that? What should you be doing with your 401k or any retirement plan that you've opened for yourself? There is no right answer or one size fits all everyone's situation is different so i will just reiterate the scenario you just mentioned it may make sense to open both but at the same time the maximum limit for an ira contribution is six thousand per year and the two major differences just the traditional ira which like you said you get the tax deduction today have the money grow and then when you're ready to withdraw it, that's when you pay the tax on it. And then the Roth IRA is you pay the income tax today, and then you have the opportunity for the account to grow tax-free. And then once you take that money out, you don't have to pay income tax on it. Alluding to the scenario you mentioned is that in your retirement years, that income factor may be zero, but then it depends on all the other financial decisions you made throughout your life. Right. Like, let's say when you're retired, you now accumulated businesses, have LLCs as corps. Uh, so you will still have some income. So there is a lot of tax planning around it. And for someone in their early career, it, it would make sense to take advantage of the employer retirement accounts, which is the 401k each employer plan is structured very differently. So you want to make sure that you're understanding the benefits that are within this account. There are employer matching contributions available in certain plans. And that's something that you want to take advantage of because it is beneficial to you. So you want to make sure that if the employer is offering $5,000 a year contribution to your plan, you want to make sure that you are getting that maximum. So that's what I would recommend. First, look at your retirement plan offered by your employer. And then just like Victoria mentioned, with that budget, see what levers you have and flexibility you have. And the maximum retirement contribution plans is 19,500. So if you're maxing that out, then we can talk about opening up additional IRAs, which is now $6,000 maximum a year. So what I'm hearing you say is that you might want to do both the pre-tax retirement account and then the Roth retirement account. But if you're doing pre-tax, you should be thinking of how you're going to plan for when it's time to retire, because there might be secret or, you know, hidden income streams that you didn't plan to pay taxes on that you might have to when it's actually time to take the money out. Right. The biggest advantage of the Roth option is having that amount accumulate tax-free, right? You pay taxes today and then you don't have to worry about paying taxes later. So that's the biggest advantage only because in your early career, it is assumed that you're in a smaller tax bracket. 
And again, tax is another topic that can, you know, and it's constantly changing each year. So we can only go off of the rules today. And when we don't know what the future of the IRS rules are going to look like. Yeah. And that's actually something I didn't think about until I spoke to Victoria, because we're making decisions based off of what we know about tax law today, but the time when it's time to take the money, the tax laws might be vastly different. And there's an element of risk or like uncertainty in that as well. And I never thought about it that way until Victoria mentioned that to me, because that's something you guys think about all the time. Like how are the tax regulations changing year in and year out for your clients? So that is really awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to go back to something that both of you mentioned, which is the importance of budgeting and really being honest with yourself around like, okay, what, what does it look like? What does my reality look like? Everyone's reality looks a little bit different, but I bet there are some best practices for how to allocate your money. Like, I don't know, X percent of your income should go towards savings versus fund money or whatever. So can you share some of those best practices that you've maybe seen your clients employ on how they should budget that money? Or what are even the buckets that you should be budgeting money in? Is it just food, savings, rent, or is it more nuanced? So there are a lot of ways to look at how to budget um, and what's right. There are so many different like pie charts that you see out there. And generally it's 10% of savings. And that doesn't mean 10% going to your emergency fund. It includes retirement savings. So when you, um, you know, if you have an employer plan, you save to your plan and then your take-home income does not have the money that you contributed to your 401k or whatever employer plan you have. So that's one thing, but also in terms of buckets, you have your needs, your wants, and then things that, okay, that might be, you know, maybe and more like fun. And we also talked about living your life as though it's both long and short. Like we are women young, we want to have fun and we don't want to just save, 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 save. We want to be saving because we know we have a future and we want to set ourselves up for success in the future. But we also want to enjoy, you know, we want to treat ourselves. We want to go to restaurants. So really establishing what budget works for you for all that. Like maybe one month you want to dine out a lot, but maybe the next month you dine out less, but you want to go shopping. So it's really what like the core that comes down to what you want and what values you. Like, you know, some people want to spend money on theater, going to events rather than clothes, but you know, you can spend on both. You just have to make sure you're maneuvering it and that you think about 10% of savings and then rent is many different sources have different um, slices that you do for rent, but it also matters like where you live because, you know, New York city compared to somewhere else, that it's not just rent. It's now you have to do laundry and things like that. So it's just really being real with your surroundings and what's working, but just making sure that you are saving. And we were talking about Roths and I just want to kind of, there was something in there that think about 6,000 per year is what you have to contribute. If you have many left over, it's really great to contribute to a Roth because you don't have to contribute 6,000 all at once. It's actually better to do either every two weeks or every month. That way you're getting in at different price points of the market. There's flexibility with that. So it's growing tax-free, but you can pull it out anytime because it's your, it's your principal that you've put in, you can take out. Earnings are a little different, but you know, you put in 6,000, let's say you grew to 10, you can always take out that 6,000. So it provides flexibility, especially when you're buying a home. So that's just something to think about. Maybe you don't want to save all your eggs to emergency fund, like right away. Maybe you want to also do that on top of your employer. So that's why we're saying like, look at everything and see what makes sense in your situation. I would love to add something. For the Roth, I believe it's a five-year limit before you can take out that principal with no penalties. Adding to the budget question, uh, Margarita, 
you want to make sure that you are crafting a budget that works for you. It is going to be different for everyone, but one major thing that you want to think about is build that foundation. Victoria has mentioned building that emergency fund of three to six months. So what exactly is that? That includes your rent because you're going to need a place to live, your food, your utilities, everything you need to live per month. That is the total that you need to accumulate. So in the event you lose your job, you're transitioning, you have that emergency reserve to sustain you for three to six months. So you want to make sure that you're building that foundation. That way you can feel more confident and comfortable when deciding, hey, I'm going to go for a $300 meal today, or I am going to splurge and go on a vacation for two weeks. So once you have that foundation and are meeting your financial goals and that savings goals for you, now the world is in your hand kind of thing. Now you're able to make decisions more prudently. Awesome. So I have so many questions I want to ask, honestly. One of my questions is a lot of times, the first time we experience something to do with financial decision-making for, for real is like after college, because that's when you get your first job, you're suddenly dealing with health insurance, dental insurance, 401k, I don't know, investing, managing a large sum of money in ways that you haven't before. What is something you know now that you wish you knew right after college? My thing about what I wanted to know when I graduated college was not really financially related. It's more philosophically related. Like you can do, it's actually, I saw it on a Dove chocolate, you know, like the rappers, they have like little quotes that said, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And I was always like in charge of like all these different projects and just getting myself way too busy. And it's just not sustainable in the long run. You know, you have to just focus on things and it's like, you want to learn, you want to grow and you want to do this, but it's just too much. But in terms of, you know, to apply that to finances, it's like, there is so much, you can't just do, you literally can't do it all. Especially when you first come out of college and you just have a small salary that you're trying to navigate, you know, you probably want to go for the most inexpensive plan and a health plan, you know, unless there are some medical issues that you need to tend to or you might not save your max out. You, you may not max out your contributions, but just doing a little bit really goes a long way. You know, you may only be able to save like 1000 in your 401k. That's still over time, huge. It's better to invest younger with less amounts than older with more amounts. There are studies on that and, you know, there's, there's empirical evidence on it. So it's just a little goes a long way. So just start making good habits. Like, don't wait. Like, oh, when I'm 30, I'll start. Like, you got to start now a little bit and then it builds over time. And then you can always increase that contribution and things like that. So. One thing I know now that I wish I knew after college was surrounding myself with the right people and networking with the right people, right? You can speak in a room full of people. And if you are not with the right people, they are not going to hear you. You are not going to be heard. And that is something I know now. And with that, after college, I was able to keep in touch with a lot of my peers and they are now in different industries. So bringing it back to finances is, okay, I'm in financial planning. We're more of generalists. I connect you. If you need health insurance needs, I have someone for you. And same thing with my personal needs. I, I don't do insurance pers uh, myself but I do have my insurance agent who I also went to college with. So it's little things like that, that you may not realize the impact 
it's made on you earlier in your career than in later years you're you still have that connection and are able to work together. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is, I love that these were not necessarily financially related advice because it goes to show that finances really are integral to every aspect of your life. You don't have to think in numbers to deal with your finances, which I think if people saw it that way, they would not be so intimidated to feel empowered and like get their shit together. So thanks for sharing that. I have a question. So recently on TikTok, there's been like a widespread amount of trends on investing and how to, you know, make a lot of money quick or anything like that. And one trend that I see time and time again is people monitoring what like Nancy Pelosi buys or somebody notable or in government, what they invest in. Do you have thoughts on that? Like, is that a scam? Is that true? So my thoughts on that, I think there was a behavioral psychology term for that. Oh, herd mentality. So you seeing the government choosing their investments. So you think because you're doing it and you do it and so on and so forth. The challenge there is that may not be correct or work for you. And the level of their investing is at a bigger scale than what you currently are doing. So you want to think about that. And again, it goes back to what your personal needs are. So those are my thoughts there. Feel free to follow the trends, but really look and assess at what you have and the flexibility within your own plan before you just make a decision off of the herd mentality. And a good way to to do that, where it's like you can still stay with the trends, but also maybe be a little bit more diversified is like sending, like, you know, setting maybe 20% of your investments to be like individual securities, stocks, crypto, whatever it is, something more trendy. And like, that's on the up and up, but you just don't know, or, but you also don't want to put all your eggs in it because sometimes, you know, like things that go up really fast can go down really fast. And we have such a long time for our investments. So we're, it's not like we're retiring tomorrow and, you know, we need to live off our money today. But it's still, there's other ways to invest in like ETFs, especially when we're young. It's really great to go into ETFs and there's mutual funds and ETFs, but ETFs are lower cost. So um, that way you get a whole bunch of stocks in one fund. So you paid hundred dollars into one ETF and here you have exposure to so many stocks. So a lot of stocks go up and down, up and down every day, but you're kind of capturing both and you're kind of smoothing out that ride. So it is a, it's a way to kind of balance out. Maybe you even do half of stocks and half of this, but that way you know that you have one portion of your investments, a little bit more diversified, and you can capture returns in both up markets and down markets as well. A random question. In a Roth, do you pay taxes on capital gains? No? Okay. I ask because I think I made this mistake and I want people to hear this in case they end up in the same position. So I invest in ETFs every month, like on Vanguard, I buy shares and that's post-tax money right? I've already paid taxes on that. That's money that went into my paycheck. So I'm just on my own volition buying these shares. What I should have been doing, in my opinion, is buying those same exact shares in a Roth IRA setting, because then I wouldn't be paying taxes on the gains over the years. But the reason that I did that, and I could still very much open a Roth IRA and still do that. So I might when the situation is correct for me, but I didn't realize that in a Roth, you can disperse after five years, as you said, without penalty, there was a liquidity element in it for me where I was like, oh, what if I suddenly need this money and then I can sell my shares right away and have the money available. But like now that I'm thinking about it, I really wouldn't have needed that money for five years anyway. So that should have gone in a Roth. 
So whenever you're investing in an ETF or like on the stock market, don't forget that the money that you earn over all those years, like when they talk about, oh, if you put a hundred dollars away a month, you're going to have a million by the time you're 50, you're paying taxes on that million, unless it's in a tax advantage account, like a Roth IRA. So that's my rant. Moving on to the next question. I really want to hear what are some of your client success stories? Or like, who's a client that left an impression on you? I want to hear about that, especially young women, if, if you have the experience. Before we get there, I just wanted to point out the taxes that you generate in your investment accounts. They're taxed at a capital gains rate. So it's like 15%, much lower than your tax bracket on income. So it's still worth it with a Roth IRA or any retirement account. There are no taxes in the capital gains world. Now tell me all about your financial client success stories, especially if you have worked with young women before. Actually, my favorite success story is my own because I'm able to speak on it and I can, I'm like an open book. You can ask me anything. But for me, growing up with immigrant parents, very fortunate to get the education, be able to pay my way through school, learning the financial system. I really applied everything I learned in my financial planning 101 class. I literally went back to my own life and applied and, and began applying it right away at the smaller scale, right? I wasn't making much then. So I began working at the age of 15 and I haven't stopped working since then. So I was instilled with good work ethic at a young age and I'm proud to say that learning the financial system, I was able to make the decisions and also some sacrifices along the way to get where I am today. My first job after my McDonald's uh, <laughs> at age 15 was working for a bank. And even then, that's when I learned customer service. I started actually making money and I just began saving. And by the time I was graduating, I had saved enough for a down payment on a home. And I was able to buy the family, the house, and this is where I am today. And I continue to just apply those financial planning skills to my own personal life and really see the power of investing and time value of money. And I will continue to do that and hope that in the, along the way, I can inspire young women like myself to uh, keep striving. Vanessa, tell me more about that. What did you do right that helped you get there when it was time to graduate and you had enough money for a down payment? What do you think you did right? And I want to know, like, while you were in college, were you eating ramen every day? How were you making it work? You know, like, help me visualize what that journey looked like for you. Yes. So what decisions I made right was learning my needs and wants at an early age. Right. So where I'm from, I think materialism is a big thing. We view people with certain material items as, you know, wealthier, things like that. When in reality, it's like, what are the basic needs? Like, do I have a shelter? Do I have food? And that is all you really need. And once you have that, then you realize how much more money you have to do everything you want. So some of those right decisions I made was, okay, I'm not going to spend my money on trendy fashion and just like cheap fashion. Um, but the, I was that one time, right? Then I'm like, oh, I prefer to travel or begin saving for this home and allocating those funds that way 
it's, it was just amazing to see that grow. And before I knew it, I was able to have that. And fortunately, coming from Colombian parents, I was not, I did not have to eat ramen every day because my mom loves to cook. So I'm still eating her meals to this day. And I'm really fortunate for that. So I, I've lucked out with the, uh, with the food part there. <laughs> So a financial success story that really inspired me is the story of many women that were attending the financial literacy course that I mentioned in my bio. So my boss, she was the financial planner and she actually introduced me to the industry, but I was still ready to do, you know, pharmacy and go into like the medical field. I still didn't understand what this was. And she took me to her financial literacy course that she did pro bono to these women. She actually took refuge in that shelter too, when she was in an abusive relationship. So she wanted to give back. And there were a group of maybe 15 to 20 women all taking these like six or seven classes and getting a certificate, which is great for their employment. But they were also like, you know, to add to their resume, but they were also in relationships that were, they weren't just physically abused, emotionally abused, but financially abused. So they didn't have any power to money. So just learning these basic, basic principles really turned their life around and a short, I forget the time, it was probably like a few months. But that's still a really short time considering how long they were in these relationships and having kids as well. You know, they weren't just single. So seeing all that they were doing, these small, small steps that just changed their lives completely and got them to a place where they were financially independent. It was amazing to see that. That's so awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And something that I think about is I feel like we don't talk about this enough where the way in which we view money is entirely shaped by our upbringing and the environment in which we experience money as a child, especially. And I think all of us will agree, like every single one of us is an immigrant here or like a child to immigrants. So everything about how we view money today is impacted by what our parents instilled in us. And something that I think a CFP does a really good job of is saying, let me work within those constraints that you have or that mentality and figure out a path that works for you. Because in order for you to become financially independent, I feel like you have to first like normalize that this is how I view money. This is how I've been raised. You have to maybe even unlearn some of those stereotypes that you've been raised with about money and like the stigma around spending money, for example, in frugal families, or like what Vanessa mentioned, which was understanding that materialism is bullshit and that she doesn't need all of those things to live a happy life. And so another thing, like I hope people take away from this is that there's a way that you can acknowledge that your upbringing has impacted how you view the financial world and you can work with somebody to make that work for yourself. And that brings me to my next question, which is I, we've been talking a lot about how you help others or you educate others on financial savviness. And now I want to turn it over the other way and ask, What's a challenge that you experience in your job as a financial planner? So one challenge is first, take it away from work. But with our knowledge, we want to help our families. But that mentality of maybe just saving, saving, saving cash, 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 you know, kind of old school, like, you know, my family's from the Soviet Union. It's difficult. You know, it's like they, you want to help, but you, you can't because you can only do so much. You can lead a horse to water, right? You can't make them drink. It's a mentality shift that's really difficult to do when it's you're a family member, for example. But with a client, it's different because you have a different relationship. And while there is a lot of emotion involved, I feel like they, you know, they, they came to you first, right? So they are ready or ready to make that step. But there is challenges with just different personality types and how people register information. And so 
what I'm telling you may not resonate with the next person, right? So always trying to understand how to communicate the ideas and the goals in the most efficient way, in the most way that will resonate to the client. But also when we first onboard clients, it's not, okay, let's, let's see your accounts. Like, what are we going to do? It's like, okay, what do you want with your life? Like we actually do a slices of life exercise and we see what's important to you. Where, where are you happy? in? like, you have all these sections of your life, family, recreation, activity, spirituality, all sorts of things. And you kind of rate. And actually, I think I sent to you that once and I, we never really followed up on it, but it was an exercise, right? So you, you kind of think about, oh, okay, like, let's not talk about numbers. Let's talk about values. And so once you know a value and you jump out in that hurdle, it helps you understand how to make the best financial plan for that client, but also how to understand that client. So in a way it's challenging because it's every person is different, right? But in a way it's rewarding because you get a bit better insight on so many people. So like it comes with the job, right? It's like that's, it's not just technical, it's emotional. And it's actually really great because our industry has shifted from transactional, like being brokers to really living life with clients and helping them live life well and helping them. And now with longevity, just um, increasing, it's not even just about retirement planning. It's longevity planning is the new buzzword that we're helping clients live their best life because they're going to have a longer retirement than, you know, people in the past. So yeah, just managing the emotional side of money can be can be challenging, but again, really rewarding. I can think of two challenges with, at least in our industry, when we begin working with a client. So the first would be in the introduction. We They've come to us, they need a financial planner, and then we let them know what is needed to get started. So that is a challenge. How long are they taking to get us all the information? So just getting them comfortable because reviewing their finances is a sensible topic. Some people are not ready to share. So I I think that's one challenge, just getting started. And another challenge is the implementation phase. So then we have the client who's like, here, this is all my information. We're able to review everything, make the recommendation, walk them through how to implement it. And unless they are ready to move forward, we cannot just move forward without their consent. So that's another challenge that I think that we face in our job. This is very interesting. Thank you. And I have just a couple more questions for you. One question that comes to mind is for anyone listening to this pod, if you could give them one piece of financial advice, like the solve all or the best practice, just one, what is that piece of advice? So I can think of so many pieces of advice, (laughs) but I'd go with failure is part of the success journey. So with that, and I guess incorporating it with the financial theme is no matter how many financial mistakes you feel you've made, today's the day to look at that as the opportunity to learn, change your mindset and work through it in order to reach success. Since Vanessa touched on the more emotional side of money, I'm just going to be technical and say, open a Roth. (laughs) And by that, I mean, open up a Roth IRA. I mean, there's so many advantages to it. I did it when I was like, when I first turned 18, my boss was like, okay, open it. And I didn't put a lot in, but it grows a lot. And, you know, it's one of those things that are out of sight, out of mind, but if you ever need it, it's there. And it just, it's it's a great vehicle. So (laughs) yeah, like as Vanessa said, so many things that you can say, but. If anyone needed to hear that, that was me because we learned, I, I still need to open a Roth because now I'm like, 
do I take the money that I've earned through the ETFs and pay capital gains and move that over to the Roth? Or do I try to like start from scratch and open the Roth and leave the ETFs alone? It's a lot of, you know, it's tough. It's tough to make these decisions. And it's something we haven't touched on yet, but I feel like you would have really good insight on is finance and like financial literacy and being financially awesome was not something given to women for a really long time. Only now am I seeing like a true movement around women becoming in control of their finances, kicking ass, like getting shit in order. And this is really important because we represent half of the world's population. Like there's no reason why we shouldn't be educated on finance, just like we're educated on math or basic English. And it's mind blowing to me that it has taken this long for, you know, the course of time to go through for us to be like, oh shit, I should open a Roth or like any of these other things. So working as a CFP, I'm sure you've been in some male dominated spaces because even finance as a career has traditionally been a male dominated workplace. Like when you think about investment banking, what do you think of Wolf of Wall Street? You don't think about women, right? So talk to me about your experience in finance as a woman. We've, and I'll speak for myself, but I've been very fortunate to meet amazing people, both male and female in this industry. I'd like to say this is a relationship business. So you want to be making those connections and asking questions and learning. We've been fortunate to work for a really amazing firm. Like Asperian has over 30% of its partners are women. So we are surrounded by amazing empowered women who are our mentors and bringing it to my day-to-day job is also in these client meetings, we have couples and it is my job to include the wife in the conversation, making sure that she's understanding what is happening to their portfolio and and make sure that that she feels that she's heard so that I can also incorporate that with the whole engagement because it's a relationship business. So yes, the husband has made the majority of the money, but they've built a partnership and now we are their financial advisors So it is our job to hear from the both of them. So I think, like you said, yes, this trend of woman empowerment is happening and I am happy to be a part of it and continue paving the path for the next generation of women in in our industry. Similar to Vanessa, I have been fortunate not to be in a, in a situation where I felt like it was a male dominated place and that like I I felt maybe uncomfortable. I never had that feeling. My first job, it was a small office. My boss was a woman. Manager was a woman. We had a few men here and there, but it's not like, it never felt like, oh, it's just women or it's just men. Like we always had a good balance of people and cultures. And and also it was experiencing the same thing. I never felt that we were in a male dominated space, even though technically we are. We're so fortunate to be working in a place where the client interest comes first. And in that environment, it's not like dog eat dog. And it's like, let's grow together. We're here together. We're growing. And again, what's our goal is to help the client. We're growing with the clients, right? But that's the first and foremost. And a lot of financial services firms don't have that culture because of the nature of their business. If you're transactional, if you're commission-based, I mean, you just have a different mentality and kind of more old school mentality. Like we're fortunate to be at a firm that's very forward thinking. And that Vanessa and I, as associates, have a voice in our organization. And we have women that we learn from that really have empowered us in their leadership roles. And almost half of the 
client-facing professionals are women. And yeah, so I think there are so many more resources available to women that we have today that's really, really wonderful. In the links, you'll see Her Capital. Asperian actually worked with them. It's a financial literacy organization for women. And there's, of course, there are three, a three-part series that you could follow, uh, that you could listen to and learn some more information. We have blog posts about women and wealth. So this, they're all linked below. And really, women are stewards of wealth. So we just got to keep empowering each other and helping each other grow. And that's why I'm so happy that Margarita invited me and Vanessa, or Vanessa and I, to this pod and to share with you, we have a community. We're not here to sell anything. We're here to connect with you and to meet you and help you. Marg knows that I just kind of, whenever we'd hang out, we would come up and I would help her. And then next thing you know, oh, we started working on a budget together. And it's not a big deal. It's, you know, it's just help. And it's supporting each other, helping us grow. So thank you, Mark, for having us, but also having this great community where we can learn from each other and grow together. Thank you. This has been really awesome and like eye-opening and I really yeah. like having both of you on. So the last question I want to ask you, and it's the question that I ask anyone that comes on my podcast, what advice would you give to women dealing with the world as it is today? It does not have to be financially related. It could be any advice you want to give to women our age. Live your life as though it's going to be long and short. Make sure to enjoy today. And yeah, you want to plan for your future, but also enjoy what you have. And we have so much to enjoy in life. Just don't be bogged down in the details. Know that your little steps are making progress, not only today, but for tomorrow. And treat yourself. I'd say do not be afraid of, again, failure and making mistakes. Now is the time to make the mistakes because you have the time to recover. Speaking from personal experience, I thought failure was not an option and sharing a little bit of my story. I, I had that mindset that I needed to know everything. So once I allowed fear to be a learning opportunity, I began asking the right questions, speaking to the right people, and seeing my mistakes and failure as learning opportunities to continue my personal and professional growth. Thanks for sharing that, both of you. And so before we wrap up, I want to ask you, how can people get connected with you? We're sharing a lot of these awesome resources in the links and bios. So look out for that both on the YouTube video and then the podcast episode. As Victoria mentioned, there will be articles and even five steps to saving, like the five buckets of savings that you could think through. But Vanessa, Victoria, how can people connect with you to learn more or get their finances in check? Mine is fairly easy and straightforward. You can find me on LinkedIn as Vanessa Franco and start a dialogue. I look forward to hearing from one of you at least you can connect with me on linkedin uh, instagram email and the articles linked below and we look forward to, to meeting you thanks so much for doing this pod with us it's been great thank you thanks for having us this was great 